here we go. The Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast is back on today. No guests, just me, the host, the creator, the producer, Eddie Cohn. Welcome to the show. I've been feeling, thinking about quite quite a lot in regards to Instagram and tech, and that's what this show is about. I think we are still, if you think about it, at the early stages of this tech ta- of this technology takeover for hundreds thousands of years the human brain has evolved by particular behaviors that have been played over and over again people coming home having face-to-face conversations listening talking having coffee together and drinking and sharing stories and all of that has been uprooted because of the evolution of tech, specifically the smartphone, probably about 10 years ago, I'm guessing. And then more recently, three or four years ago, the evolution of Instagram and apps and Snapchat. People paying more attention to their fake world on Instagram, their curated world, where it's much more diligible, you're in control, as opposed to spending time in this sort of chaotic real-life world that we live in today. I read this very interesting word today called phantasmagoria, or the word is phantasmagoria. And it's defined as you're looking at so many different images, both dreamlike and real, that all you see are blurred lines. There's no clarity. You don't know what's real or false anymore. And guess what? That's the world we live in now, phantasmagoria. Welcome to the world, thanks to Instagram and technology. Welcome to phantasmagoria. And that's where we stand. No idea what's true, false. People are creating this imaginary, perfect world, this utopian world, this copacetic world where everything looks okay, everybody looks happy all the time. And the reality is underneath all of that, behind the closed doors, the curtains, per se, depression, addiction, anxiety is at an all-time high. And I think it directly correlates to our culture's obsession with sharing, staring, and looking at our phones all day long. And so right now in Los Angeles, it is a bit chaotic. There is this sort of sense of anarchy out here and because there's the fires. And I want to talk about something. There's some different subjects that I want to talk about. But I was in Los Angeles living in Malibu, actually, in the mid-90s when we had those terrible fires that overcame our community. It was, it was scary. One of the most terrifying events of my life was looking up the mountain and seeing these fires coming down onto our homes and then being in this five to 10 mile long traffic jam. And that's, that's what's so scary about parts of Los Angeles is this idea that there's only one way in and one way out. And I remember being stuck on Pacific Coast Highway, not able to go anywhere because there was so much traffic. There was complete chaos. 
and the fires are coming down the mountain. And I literally was thinking I'm going to have to jump out of my car and go down to the beach because there's no way out. It was a harrowing experience. One thing that I've really felt, I've had a pet peeve. One one issue I've had is I can't stand when people post photos of the fire on social media. I don't know what the intention is actually behind that. And I'm on the freeway today going to teach a yoga class. And this guy in his $80,000 BMW, as we're going on the freeway, is driving super slow. And you can see in the distance the fire off of the 405 near Getty Center. As I'm entering the freeway, you can clearly see the smoke coming up into the sky. And it's it's terrifying. Now, instead of driving, he is causing more traffic. And I look over and sure enough, he's taking photos of the fire while he's driving onto the freeway. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so is this for Instagram? Is this for Facebook? What, what is the intention? Why is he causing more anxiety, more traffic? Because he wants to capture a photo of this terrible experience. And, and I, again, I can't help but think, People are posting photos of this fire and then posting it on Instagram to maybe get some sort of sympathy or because they want to feel as though they're a part of something. Meanwhile, people are losing their homes. People are losing their lives, their livelihood, and people want to somehow feel connected to it or they're going through some terrible experience and they want to share what the smoke looks like during the sunset. I I just, I don't, again, it's this idea of being so caught up, so wrapped up that your life is worth sharing and worth promoting and you're out there in the thick of it all. Oh, I'm in Los Angeles. I'm dealing with this fire. Yeah, I'm in Los Angeles right now. I'm dealing with the air quality, the air pollution, but the fire beyond that is not affecting me. I am lucky that I live more in sort of the the city atmosphere of LA. I don't live in the hills. It's a terrible, terrifying experience for these people that are losing their homes, for the people where, if they were like me living in Malibu at the time, running or racing for your life. Why do people feel as though they have to stop what they're doing and take photos of this terrible experience and then post it on Instagram? I I just, it's so perplexing. It feels to me as though people are calling for attention, wanting to feel as though people feel sorry for them when in fact they aren't close to the fire at all. It's merely causing more harm than good when you stop what you're doing, especially if you're driving on the freeway, trying to take pictures as opposed to just drive and go where you need to go. And to further sort of exemplify this dystopian, chaotic world that we live in, again, I think it's so easy for us to just get caught up in our own life. You know, on an individual level, technology can feel like such a luxury to be able to order things on Amazon and get them within a day or two, to to use GPS to get anywhere, to buy plane tickets. I mean, just the other night, I, I went to the movies and within two minutes, bought tickets, got a dinner reservation. I mean, it, it makes individually our lives so much easier. 
Collectively, though, that's what I'm talking about here. Collectively, when millions of people are staring at their phones everywhere they go, when millions of people are ordering on Amazon to get the better price because they want next day delivery, what is the systemic effect of that? You know, I just got back from New York City and I posted a little podcast about it where I was talking about how insane the city felt. And I instantly thought about Uber and Lyft and how everybody's driving Uber and Lyft now. And so traffic is a fucking nightmare in New York City. I mean, it's worse than it's ever been. Well, interestingly enough, the New York Times just released an article uh, on Sunday talking about the impact of Amazon on traffic. And I didn't even think about that. I want to read a quick blurb from this article because it's really interesting to me and how, you know, all of you ordering on Amazon to get that one day next day delivery for the good, for the better price. Yeah, of course, we all want to save money. I want to save money. You want to save money. But when millions and millions of people are ordering on Amazon, there is a deeper effect. And so let me read this, this article. It's called, obviously, I'm not going to read the whole, the whole article to you, but it's called 1.5 Million Packages a Day, The Internet Brings Chaos to New York City Streets. The push for convenience is having a stark impact on gridlock, roadway safety, and pollution in New York City. Delivery trucks operated by UPS and FedEx double park on streets and block bus and bike lanes. They racked up more than 471,000 parking violations last year, a 34% increase from 2013. While the rise of ride-hailing services like Uber has unquestionably caused more traffic, the proliferation of trucks has worsened the problem. As a result, cars in the busiest parts of Manhattan now move just above a jogger's pace, about seven miles per hour. The average number of daily deliveries to households in New York tripled to more than 1.1 million shipments from 2009 to 2017. Amazon is now moving toward one-day delivery rather than two days for its prime customers and plans to spend $1.5 billion this quarter, which includes the holiday season to reach that goal. Now wonder there was just so much traffic in New York City. This mad rush to please everybody to please everybody's individual goals is a great concept, but collectively as a culture in the big cities, I do think it potentially is creating more harm than good. No wonder people are so stressed out and freaked out because their daily commute to work every day, which used to be maybe 20, 30 minutes, is now an hour to an hour and a half, which means there's less time at home, which means they're spending more time on their phone, fitting in emails, texts. It it does create this toxic environment. The peace, the serenity that we all crave and need is slipping away. And it's because of the tech giants, it's because they are manipulating you to purchase from their websites. They're manipulating you to want one or two day delivery. It's causing gridlock, both literally and uh, metaphorically in our culture. You know, I look around me right now in Los Angeles with the fires around and, and it does feel, and it's just getting back from New York, I mean, it does feel like an apocalypse of some sorts is coming. Like, how can, can we possibly sustain this rate in which we consume? Can we possibly keep this up? 
I never go to the movies anymore. There's a couple reasons for that. First of all, it's really expensive. Second of all, I'm just busy doing so many different things. And a lot of people told me to go see the Quentin Tarantino movie, but it's three hours long. And I'm saying to myself, okay, it takes 20 minutes to get there, 20 minutes to find parking. It's going to be a four-hour experience. I don't think I can deal with a four-hour movie experience right now. And I was even talking to a friend of mine the other day about this idea that I don't know if movie theaters are going to exist 50 years from now. The, The trend is for us to watch Netflix. And the greatest obstacle that... The movie industry has, the sports industry has, the the greatest obstacle is getting you out of the house. Most families, most people, they have so much entertainment, so much content that they could just stay home. So I went to a movie this, this last weekend called Parasite. And wow, it's from the Korean filmmaker Bong Joon-ho. And I've seen a couple of his other films, Mother, The Host, and... I don't want to say too much. However, it may be one of the best movies I've seen in years. Visually, the acting, the writing. Talk about a movie where you literally have no idea what's going to happen next. I mean, one of my biggest complaints with technology and our culture now is, creatively speaking, I rarely see anything anymore that leaves me on the edge of my seat or I'm thinking to myself, what is going to happen next? Everything has been done. Everything is typically predictable. I look in the movies every weekend to see if there's anything that I want to see, and nothing is coming out. Nothing creatively is blowing my mind. And I do think that is a result of technology. People need space, time to clear their heads, to think creatively. And that free time is being taken up by our phones and people staring at Netflix all the time. So Parasite, just a quick quick synopsis. It does sort of represent this chaotic dystopian world that we live in today. There's a poor family, a rich family, and the two ultimately need each other. And greed takes over one of the families, and things go terribly awry. And there's this really powerful scene where there's a terrible rainstorm. And for the rich family, their life is uprooted for the evening. They were going to go on a camping trip. And they have to come home, and one of their children wants to sleep in a tent during the rainstorm. So the worst that happens to them is they have to come home, and their camping trip is canceled. The poor family that lives in the city streets or lives in sort of a much smaller home in in South Korea, their entire life is uprooted by this storm. And there's just such a powerful paradox going on between the two differences between these two families, desperation, chaos. This film blew me away. And the chaotic undertones, the chaos that ensues, to me, represents and mirrors and symbolizes the culture that we live in today. I do feel like at any moment life can sort of just be uprooted. Not me necessarily personally, but it does feel as though the way our culture is moving, at any moment, 
the chaos could become so out of control that we won't be able to find normalcy anymore. I mean, is this the new normal? Is this the new normal? People staring at their phones, fires and floods, gridlock that you've never witnessed before, people taking photos on the freeway while they're driving. Is this the new normal? As humans, are we capable of handling the onslaught of information and technology and Twitter and texting? Are we capable of handling all of this? Were we prepared for all of this? And I even think about, you know, movie stars and actors who get into their craft because they love to act or they love to write or they love to sing songs and they want to become and, and and ultimately they become a huge famous band. I mean, is it normal to know how to handle people tweeting at you every day, following your every move? This idea of privacy, it it seems to be completely gone. Everybody wants to know everything that you're doing all the time and then we perpetuate it because we constantly post. The idea that we post everything that we're doing on Instagram all the time is perpetuating this process of people think it's worth sharing everything they do. And that's the world we live in now where people think their life is worth sharing all the time. Instagram and Facebook give you this platform, sort of this TV show where you're the creator, you're the writer, and you can do whatever you want with it. And most people feel like people want to see what they're doing all the time, what they're eating all the time. And as I said last week, I don't care. I've unfollowed numerous people over the last few months. Sharing and posting, it doesn't matter. This idea of, are we able to handle all of this? If you do post all the time, well, I I can't help but think about Ellen DeGeneres, who I'm a huge fan of. I love her show. Well, I don't watch her daily show, but I certainly like her stand-up. And you probably know the story by now. She was at the Dallas Cowboys football game a couple weeks ago, and she was sitting in Jerry Jones's box seats. I guess she's friends with Jerry Jones and Jerry Jones's wife. I don't remember her name. But lo and behold, George Bush is also sitting in the box. And so at some point of the game, a photo of George and Ellen sitting together, smiling, having a good time, shows up on the Jumbotron at the game. Well, people freak out, of course, and go to Twitter and start tweeting at Ellen DeGeneres, how dare you sit with George W. Bush? I can't believe as a lesbian you could possibly be a supporter of this conservative man, George W. Bush. I can't believe you would be friends. And so then Ellen ultimately, again, she's probably thinking, wait, I just went to the football game to have a good time, hang out with my friends. And I didn't want to have people vomiting at me and yelling at me on Twitter. So now I have to talk to my PR person, talk to my manager and figure out how to deal with this so that I don't lose my show. So I don't have people like coming up to me, interrupting me at the grocery store, telling me how I'm such a bad person because I'm friends with George W. Bush. I mean, can you imagine having to deal with that? Leo, can you imagine having to deal with posting on Instagram all the time and then not knowing what people are going to think? I mean, did you think that Ellen thought that, you know, people are going to hate the idea that I'm sitting with George W. Bush? And so then Ellen ultimately has to go on to her show the next like day later, a couple days later, and, and she posts this, this explanation on her show the next day. So have a listen. But during the game, they 
of George and me laughing together. And uh, so people were upset. They thought, why is a gay Hollywood liberal sitting next to a conservative Republican president? Didn't even notice I'm holding the brand new iPhone 11. And, uh, but a lot of people were mad, and they did what people do when they're mad. They tweet. And uh, But here's one tweet that I loved. This uh, person says, Ellen and George Bush together makes me have faith in America again. George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think that we've forgotten that that's okay that we're all different. For instance, I wish people wouldn't wear fur. I don't like it, but but I'm friends with people who wear fur. And I, I'm friends with people who are furry, as a matter of fact. I have <laughs> friends who should tweeze more. And I, I have... But just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean that I'm not going to be friends with them. When I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way that you do. I mean be kind to everyone. Doesn't matter. What's mind-blowing to me, though, so there's, there's her explanation. Like five days later at the Democratic debate, pres- the Democratic presidential debate, the last question posed from, I think it was Anderson Cooper, was, Leo, come on, stop it. The last question posed by Anderson Cooper was something to the effect of, do you have any friends that may think differently than you, but, you know, any friends that we should know about that you may have that may think politically different from you or have a different background or lifestyle or or what have you that that we should know about? And I'm thinking to myself, we have all these problems housing crisis, homelessness, shrinking middle class, healthcare costs rising through the roof. And Anderson Cooper is asking about the friends that you have outside of the public eye or friends that you may have that think differently from you. What is going on? So last segment, and this is going to be challenging, I have to admit, because I'm still learning as I'm going here. But a couple weeks ago, Daryl Morey, the general manager of the Houston Rockets, posted a tweet that was pro-Hong Kong. And I'm going to do my best to try to explain this. And if you probably know the story, that tweet there was a huge backlash and the Chinese government got involved. Daryl Morey had to delete the tweets. So basically, let me try to give you a little backstory. And this is the thing. LeBron James gets involved and starts talking about it. People start talking about things that they don't know, number one. And number two, they don't think their tweets or their posts on Instagram have an effect. But they do. Your post, anything that you're posting that people are seeing on Instagram or Twitter does affect them emotionally. It affects everybody. So Daryl Morey, 
He's traveling in Japan. His team, the Houston Rockets, is in China. Houston is probably behind the Golden State Warriors. Houston is the second most popular NBA basketball team. And this is all traces back to Yao Ming, the famous Chinese basketball player who played on the Houston Rockets. When Yao Ming was on the team, financially speaking, the Houston Rockets exploded. There's obviously millions of people that live in China. They purchased and consumed tons of Houston Rockets gear. They're huge fans of the NBA. And the NBA relies on China. Financially speaking, they rely on, I think I read somewhere 15 to 20% of the NBA's revenue comes from China. So ever since Yao Ming played, every year the NBA makes sure to play preseason games in China. So their fans can get involved, their fans will buy shoes. I mean, there's obviously billions of dollars in China. And so there's a huge market there. So Daryl Morey's probably thinking to himself, you know, my team's there. I'm going to, I mean, I don't know what he's thinking, really, to be honest, but he posts some sort of pro-Hong Kong democracy tweet. Now, of course, he's thinking democracy is good because we live in a democracy, but he's probably not quite sure the the real story that's going on. Look, why are these Hong Kong, these, these residents of Hong Kong protesting? Well, the Chinese government is a communist country. But I did a lot of research, and I wanted to sort of share some interesting information about why there's actually a lot beneath the surface. And I, that's the thing. I don't think we really take the time to go underneath the surface. We send little tweets, we send little photos, we do this, we do that, but we don't really stop and research and read and think about what's really going on. But there's actually an interesting story here with Hong Kong and China, and I didn't even know any of this, but it all sort of makes a lot of sense why it's actually quite complicated and it's and then LeBron James gets involved and and he's impacted by all of this financially speaking so it's complicated so hong kong is officially a special administrative region of china and this is what's so interesting to me i didn't even know this but it's on the eastern side of the pearl river with over 7.4 million people of various nationalities hong kong is one of the de- most densely populated places in the world Hong Kong became a colony of the British Empire after Xing China ceded Hong Kong Island at the end of the First Opium War in 1842. The colony expanded to the Kowloon Peninsula in 1860 after the Second Opium War and was further extended when Britain obtained a 99-year lease of Hong Kong. The territory was transferred to China in 1997. So as a special administrative region, Hong Kong maintains separate governing and economic systems from that of mainland China under the principle known as one country, two systems. Well, apparently, China, Beijing, China, wants to pass a new law where convicts can be convicted and tried under the Chinese communist government, not the democratic Hong Kong principles. And that sort of originated the protests. By the early 1990s, Hong Kong had established itself as a global financial center and shipping hub. 
The colony faced an uncertain future, though, as the end of the new territories lease approached and Governor Murray McClayhos raised the question of Hong Kong's status with Deng Xiaoping in 1979. Diplomatic negotiations with China resulted in the 1984 Sino-British Joint Declaration in which the United Kingdom agreed to transfer the colony in 1997 and China would guarantee Hong Kong's economic and political systems for 50 years after the transfer. Well, the impending transfer triggered a wave of mass emigration as residents of Hong Kong feared the erosion of their civil rights, the rule of law, and quality of life. Over half a million people left Hong Kong during the peak migration period from 87 to 96. Hong Kong was transferred to China on, 9, on July 1st, 1997, after 156 years of British rule. Immediately after the transfer, Hong Kong was severe. This, was, this is what's so interesting to me. So after the transfer, Hong Kong is severely affected by several crises. The government was forced to use substantial foreign exchange reserves to maintain the Hong Kong dollar's currency peg during this financial crisis. And the recovery from this was muted by an H5N1 flu outbreak. And then it was followed by the 2003 SARS epidemic, during which the territory experienced its most serious economic downturn. Don't you find it interesting that when Hong Kong is goes back to being ruled underneath China's guise, that suddenly these terrible things happen to Hong Kong? Isn't that a little strange? I don't know. I just, I find that really interesting. And it, it makes me sort of believe that China rules the world, that China is in control. Of, of because let's face it, they're controlling, they're they're manufacturing all of these technology these technology products in China. Everything, all the Apple, Amazon, everything is made over there. So maybe t- China is actually perpetuating this instability and insanity that we're living in nowadays. And last point about this this before I get back to Daryl Morey and LeBron James in June of two thousand nineteen. Large protests erupted in response to a proposed extradition amendment bill permitting extradition of fugitives to mainland China. The protests have continued into October, possibly becoming the largest scale political protest movement in Hong Kong history. So that was what Daryl Morey was responding to, those protests, this long ongoing upheaval between Hong Kong wanting to retain their democracy against China in this communist country. And what's crazy is that Daryl Morey posts this tweet and then China demands that it's taken down. And then, you know, China forces all of these NBA programs between the NBA and China they just they close them down. They had all these sponsorships, all these athletes were going to China to and they were they were being paid millions of dollars china shut them all down all because of this tweet and then lebron james gets involved and starts saying how daryl morey you know should have been a little bit more educated before he posted that tweet he should have thought about you know the ramifications you know lebron james was fearful for his life the thick irony here is, is that 
LeBron James uses Twitter all the time to share his thoughts. So here he is criticizing Daryl Morey for using Twitter for sharing his beliefs. And he's telling him it's a bad thing. Don't you see the irony here? It's so complicated. And so then then LeBron James gets criticized because he's anti-democracy or he's anti-Hong Kong because he's not taking a stand. He's saying that Daryl Morey did the wrong thing. And he's calling Daryl Morey uneducated. Actually, to me, it almost feels like LeBron James is uneducated because Daryl Morey actually took a stand and was pro-democracy. So what is LeBron James? Is is he anti-democracy? No, what I think LeBron James is, is he's anti-anything that gets in the way of him. He's anti-anything that gets in the way of him making millions of dollars. He's anything that gets in the way of his brand looking really good. And Daryl Morey got in the way of that. His tweet got in the way of that because LeBron James lost millions of dollars on his trip. This is all very complicated. And Twitter and Instagram and tech wants to simplify everything. But as you can see, as I I look back and read about this, this is a complicated story that's been going on for hundreds of years. As you can see, it's a much more complicated, deeper story than we're all privy to. And if we all sort of stopped and thought a little bit more deeply and thought about how we're using Twitter and Instagram before just vomiting out our thoughts... The words, the photos, the pictures we share do have an effect. These posts, these tweets, everything we do online has an effect. It has a far deeper effect than I think any of us are privy to. And I'm trying to get some sort of understanding of what's going on. And I advise all of you to unfollow anybody that is posting tweets or photos that creates confusion. We have to be so conscious of the information that we're allowing into our lives. It's just, those are some random crazy thoughts that I've been thinking over the last 10, 12 days. And I'm trying to make sense of it all. So I appreciate you listening to the show. I have David Gomez. He's the sound engineer for some incredible bands. I spoke with him about five days ago. That should drop hopefully later in this week or Monday of next week. Great conversation with him about music and technology and how the music industry has changed over the years. As always, if you dig my show, head on over to iTunes, write a review. Please share the podcast with friends. You could support my show directly by visiting my Patreon page, which is patreon.com backslash Eddie Cohn. But that's it for now. Thank you so much for listening, supporting. I truly appreciate you guys listening to the show. So yeah, thank you so much for listening and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast.